So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta, and welcome back to the Active Atlanta podcast. Guys, this is going to be an awesome episode. We have Dr. Juan uh, Martin. She goes by Jay, Dr. Jay, whatever you want to call her, but um, she is a stud at pelvic floor, and she has a ton of unique uh, populations that she works with in regards to the pelvic floor space. Um, she's been in practice for well over 13 years. She owns her own clinic called JMM Health Solutions out in Duluth. She's been the founder and owner of that practice for the past three years, truly changing people's lives with some of, with some of the um, treatment techniques and just some of the populations that she's worked with. And I'm really excited to get her information out here. So um, without further ado, Jay, how are you? I am great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks, Matt. Wow. Nobody asked me how I'm doing after the introduction. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I've been in the South for a long time now. It's just yeah. rubbed off for me. <laughs> right? That's a, that is very uh, healthcare professional-esque where it's like, no, 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 don't talk about, I don't, don't talk about me. How are you doing? You know? How are you doing today? Right, right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I, you know, for the people listening, I guess, first and foremost, could you just give us a background of what pelvic floor therapy is, um, and, and maybe a little bit of an intro and, and how you got into that world. Yeah, so, whew, love Loaded this. question right out of the gates. Pelvic, pelvic floor physical therapy is basically, the simply put, it is specializing in everything between your belly button and your knees. Your pelvis is really at the center of your body, and within your pelvis are organs, connective tissues, muscles, um, a neurological system, you name it, it's there. And we are the specialists in all things pelvic floor and, and the, the structures adjacent. So the, the spine, the hips, those types of things. Um, we deal with issues revolving around the bladder. So bladder dysfunction, whether you are leaking urine or having a hard time starting urine stream, maybe having some pain there, bowel dysfunction, constipation, um, pelvic organ, um, prolapse, things like that. Um, a lot of the urogynecological issues, things that might happen as a result of pregnancy or childbirth, um, we deal with sexual dysfunction. So those individuals who are having a hard time with sex because of pain, maybe because of including men, erectile dysfunction, things of that sort, and just pain in general. So if you're having persistent pain in and around the area, whether it's at the pelvis specifically, in the hips, in the lower back, those are the things that we deal with. Um, with regards to how I got into this, I've always worked with athletes. I was an athlete myself. I played for the national team, Barbados Volleyball, for well, probably like eight or nine years, um, from the junior national level all the way up to the senior women's level, traveled around the world for it. 
Um, and, and I was also an athletic trainer through grad school. So I had six teams that I worked with, um, in particular volleyball being one of them. Um, and I really enjoyed working with my athletes and I wanted to continue working with my athletes. When I came out of PT school, I was actually seeing a lot of pregnant women. Every time there were pregnant women, they were somehow put on my schedule. I'm like, hey. And so, but I kind of grew to love them. And, and a lot of the ones that I was, was seeing were active anyway. You know, these were women who wanted to maintain activity throughout their pregnancy. Sure, they were coming in with some aches and pains and stuff like that. But they were like, I really want to try to still move as much as I can. I really want to try to optimize my body so that when I go through this birthing process, I can have a much easier time. And those are the things that we worked on. And I really found it fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Um, then I would work with these women afterwards as well. Um, then I left, I, this was back in New York and I left New York. I moved to Atlanta. Um, I had the pleasure of working with alongside a clinician who was a pelvic floor therapist and, you know, just the things that she was doing to change people's lives, I thought was really amazing. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yep, that's it. That's <laughs> what I want to do. Yeah. Um, Coincidentally, when I left that practice, I was at a practice right next to a trauma surgeon and about 50% of the cases that we saw had pelvic fractures, whether they were non-op or post-op, they were pelvic fractures. And a lot of the complaints now were of a different type. So it wasn't, you know, the pregnant and postpartum woman. These were people who've experienced trauma who might've been having a little bit of neurological compromise. So they're having altered sensation, maybe a little bit of numbness, tingling stuff around the genitals. They're having issues with sex. They're having pain in the pelvis and the hips and the lower back. Um, and again, I was like, it is, is interesting how much happens in and around this region and how much we really need to, you know, um, make sure that the function is optimized because it's typically with the pelvic floor, it's seldom ever the symptoms. So people might come to you and say, Hey, I'm leaking or, you know, I've got incontinence, or I've got issues with, with, you know, my bowels, or I've got pain, or I, you know, having issues with sex, or I've got a prolapse or whatever. But the problem with those things is, is that when they persist for a long time, or long enough, because it doesn't even have to be, you know, long in terms of a stretch of years, but when they persist right. long enough, it becomes a psychological issue, it becomes an emotional issue, the, the yeah. toil that it takes on the individual, you know, when they feel like their body has essentially failed them, that, yeah. you know, as a female, the one thing that I feel I was, I'm supposed to be able to do, I'm supposed to be able to procreate, I'm supposed to be able to carry a baby, I'm supposed to be able to do this or do that, because of either, you know, constructs that they've put on themselves or society has put on them and they feel like this is what they should do same thing with men right mm -hmm. i should be able to be a stud in the bedroom i can't even get it up you know i can't even keep it up like what the heck is happening and so those are the things that that really drew me to that population and wanting to help these people because let me tell you the reward so worth it oh on um, yeah i couldn't imagine uh because you're right i mean for sure, people will, will identify, will put their identification, or like they'll identify with their pain, right? Like it's almost like it becomes a part of who they are. And that's just with who the people I work with and, and with like knee pain and back pain and shoulder pain, like let alone now you start talking about like pain with intercourse or difficulty maintaining and hold or holding an erection or um, a lot of different things that is supposed to be like just normal, like can go, right? And um yeah, that would absolutely be a part of your identity if all of a sudden now you can't do what you're supposed to be able to do. So um, that's really interesting. And then you also have a lot of really uh, unique populations because pelvic floor PT uh, in, and of, in and of itself 
especially here in the United States, like overseas people, they tend to have it a little bit better, a little bit better handle on a postpartum in particular, or just pelvic floor specialists. But um, you also work with uh, men's pelvic floor, which you kind of alluded to here. Guys, that is super unique and not just Atlanta, but really, I mean, in the nation, if not the world. Yeah, probably only about 10% of pelvic floor therapists work with men. Yeah. And what percentage of uh, PTs are pelvic floor specialists to begin with in that? We're, we're, there are more of us now, but okay. they're still not enough. <laughs> not enough for sure. And then you also, so you work with men and then you also, you work with athletes, which I think is really cool, but then also you work with children as well. I um, do. And that was, like, that, I didn't even know that that was a thing until literally 20 minutes ago when I started talking to you. Um, so what, what does, and I feel like a lot of parents could actually probably identify with this. I'm not a parent yet, so I, I, I can't, but um, I'm sure it's out there. Uh, you know, people, they just didn't realize, like, oh, that is normal. And there's somebody that can help out with that. So uh, what would a pelvic floor therapist do for a child? So that's a really great question. The, the problem with the thing with kids is, is, you know, I, I think, most of the time, the big push is we just need them potty trained by the time they get into kindergarten, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes they may stay home through preschool or whatever. And then there's this big push to get them done by kindergarten. And as long as they can go independently, it doesn't really matter how they go, if they, they go, if they have pain, if they have a hard time going, whatever, it doesn't matter. As long as they can go independently, then we've considered that success. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that about 90% of this country's children are constipated. And that can lead to a whole ton of other stuff. So I work with kids who are constipated. I work with kids who have bedwetting issues. Usually by the age, by around the age of five, on average, kids are continent of bowel and bladder. And they're continent at nighttime. And there could be kids who continue to have bedwetting. So it might be more of a primary type of bedwetting where they always wet the bed. Or it could be a secondary type of bedwetting where they, they stop, you know, they were completely continent. And then now all of a sudden they're eight or nine and they've started wetting the bed again. So they've gone more than six months to a year being completely dry at night. And then all of a sudden now they're leaking again. Mm-hmm. Um, some kids leak during the day. And a lot of the times you know, we don't think about the, the, the environment, but it really depends on what that school setting looks like. What did the elementary schools look like? Do those kindergartners have a bathroom in their classroom yeah. or do they have to walk down the hall and be among bigger kids? You know, same with the first and the second graders. Do they have to be among the bigger kids in grade school when they go to the bathroom? That can be very intimidating for a child. And a lot of children will attempt to hold their urine and their feces all day, which can result in leaks, right? So let them go run on the playground and they've been holding, let them fall. And then, oops, you know, something as simple as that, let them go jump. They might leak things of that sort. So I work with kids that have issues with leaking, whether it is, whether they're having poop accidents, um, pee accidents, whether they're having, um, nighttime bedwetting issues, constipation. And then as they get older, whether it's my athletes, and usually this is, this is one of the populations that I see is the teen athlete. So for the boys, if they're having any pain in and around the pelvic region, if they're having any sports injuries, a lot of the times hernias go undiagnosed. Yeah. Um, and they're easy to miss because you might be seeing, oh, he's complaining of pain in his groin, or he's complaining of difficulty sitting, and really and truly it might be a hernia. Right. Because yeah. a lot of the symptoms of a, of a inguinal hernia or the hernia in the groin will mimic what happens with sometimes pelvic pain or genital pain. Um, same thing with females. When females are having 
issues with their periods. Um, the number one reason for young women to miss school is period pain. Really? And oftentimes this is a sign that they could be dealing with something more like endometriosis, which goes undiagnosed for a very long time. The, I mean, the research has shown that most adult women, most women will go probably even up to 10 years before they're diagnosed. They might see at least seven physicians before they're appropriately diagnosed. And even then they're still not with a specialist who treats endometriosis. So my job as a pelvic floor PT, especially working with the younger populations and females is to kind of identify those things that may be synonymous with endo identify those things that may be going on when we've got the young lady with the pelvic pain we've got the young lady with the gut issues the unexplained gut issues and yeah. un, and you know and the bowel habits that are not where we want them to be and then get her and the family to the right resources to the right people in addition to educating them in addition to kind of helping make them aware of proper you know bowel and bladder habits things of that sort doing hands-on manual techniques um you know from the abdomen all the way through like the hips and so on. We don't do internal work on children, on young children, um, which a lot of the adults listening here may be like, what are you doing with the kids? Um, <laughs> and, you know, some may be familiar with the fact that we do internal work um, on adults. So I do internal work on men yeah. and on women. But when it comes to children, we don't do internal work on children, unless of course I'm dealing with, let's say, a, a teenager who is a already sexually active and having complaints of pain with sexual intercourse or B we're having a situation or, or there might be a case of trauma in there, or we're having um, an individual who is a, a teen mom where, yeah. you know, there may be some work that we might have to do after birth or whatnot because of pelvic floor dysfunction. Makes sense. Makes sense. Man, that's wild. I didn't realize that you said 90% of children uh, mm -hmm. suffer with some form of incontinence or constipation. They're constipated. Yeah. Is that? Which can lead to incontinence because if the rectum is full, then it's going to start pushing on the bladder and it's really easy to leap then. Oh, man, it makes sense. So then is, do you find like that? Is that a lot of like just like performance anxiety or like what do you find is like the main cause of um, constipation? So it varies. So it could be something as simple as like nutrition. Are they getting enough fiber in their diet? You know, are, are we feeding? And, and we know, you know, the American diet is not, you know, the best, right. the most highly regarded in the world, right? Like, they're like, what is a vegetable? Um, <laughs> and so we really need to start working with the low hanging fruit, like make sure these kids are eating properly. But in addition to that, things like withholding. So when you go back to the kids in the classroom, there are a lot of kids that will go all day and not go to the bathroom. Yeah. They're shy, they're embarrassed, they don't want to go. Uh, and God forbid, they should have an accident. Sometimes right. that makes them less inclined to use the bathroom at school. Mm -hmm. Um, so yep. things like that, but that's withholding is usually that pro the pro one of the main problems um, and reasons that these kids are having constipation issues. The other thing could be poor coordination of those pelvic floor muscles. So even in really, really young kids, we're still looking at how are these pelvic floor muscles working? Can they relax? You know, are they aware of the muscles, the muscle movement? Can they, in can they engage the muscles? Can they contract the muscles voluntarily? Can they relax voluntarily? You know, those types of things. So we're looking at, can the muscles function the way that they need to? Do they have, you know, appropriate coordination that then when they go to sit on the toilet, they can relax the muscles and let the poop come out, you know, versus clenching their butts and kind of holding it in. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, for sure. And, and, and you're so spot on, like nutrition in particular is just a, such a low hanging fruit. We work pretty closely with a couple like functional medicine uh, providers and just, man, just being able to like take a look at some, like a simple like stool sample can tell you so much in terms of what's going on with the gut microbiome in terms mm. of, are they, are they appropriately one, do they have the appropriate like micro or gut microflora to be able to even like have good gut motility and everything else. But then also now we've got some of these other issues that you're talking about. So I had no idea that it was such a, such an issue uh, with kids. I feel yeah. enlightened for when I have to start potty training a kid someday, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and body training for a lot of parents can be a headache. So, I mean, even okay. for the parents who might be saying, you know, we don't have any bowel issues or anything, but potty training has been a pain in the butt. That's something that I will help the parents with and give them, you know, strategies and stuff to kind of handle that better. And I wanted to say, too, with the teen, the female athlete, you know, having worked with athletes a lot, having been an athlete, we take for granted um, performance mm-hmm. and something as simple as the use of a tampon in performance. Oh. So if I have an elite swimmer, she's going to need, and she's on her period, she needs to be able to wear a tampon. But what happens if this young lady is having pain with attempting to insert a tampon? Yeah. You know, and a lot of the times people may just dismiss it as, oh, well, it's because she's young. It's because she's never done it before. Maybe she did it wrong, whatever. But a lot of teens will have issues with that. And then they kind of tend to do away with it. They might withdraw from their sport. So then you might have a kid who's really good and you start to see her performance, you know, lacking a little bit. And yeah. some, some coaches, if they're not intuitive enough, are going to be like, okay, they just aren't hungry for it. You know, they just don't want it. But the coach that really is like, okay, something is not right here. What's going on? Yeah. is going to have an arsenal of people in their pocket, those resources to say, you know what, this is not in my wheelhouse. Here's where you need to go. For sure. Do you do a lot of like education at high schools or middle schools um, around Atlanta by chance? Like how many coaches? I feel like just just the and this is not a knock on coaches by any means. I mean, I wouldn't have when I was coaching, but like I just feel like there's not a lot of coaches that would think like, huh, maybe there's an issue going on there. (laughs) Um, Or or like, how do you how do you give people the um, knowledge, I guess I can say to know like, oh, this is something that you should be maybe I should look into or, or just know to ask a question that might signal you need to go see somebody. I definitely need to do more. I coach myself. So I coach the 16s um, elite volleyball team. And, you know, I talk to my girls all all the time. So my girls that I coached last year, they were 17s. And they'll tell you, we would have conversations where they would say, so coach Jay. (laughs) And I'm like, which, who do you need? You need coach Jay? Do you need Dr. Jay? Or do you need mama Jay? Because like, apparently I had, (laughs) I had a lot of different hats that I wore. (laughs) <laughs> so they're like, I need Dr. J. I'm like, okay. Yeah. All right. And we would talk about everything from their periods to, you know, all sorts of stuff. And then just for them to have a better understanding of their bodies, of what their bodies are doing, of what's happening. Because, yeah. you know, the, the hardest, the, the, the most important thing is for them to be educated. You know, if yeah. they, if they know it, know what's going on, that's half the battle. And yeah. I think that ultimately a lot of kids have no clue. Like there are kids, you know, there are young women who go through adulthood and they're now adults and they're like, I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't know what that was when they're in their twenties or their thirties or even their forties. I mean, I had a talk the other day with um, some moms and there were women in their forties going, Oh wow. I didn't know that. So that's what this problem has been all this time. Yeah. More than likely. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And what a frustrating, like, 
light bulb moment, I guess. I guess you can call it frustrating. It is enlightening, you know, it is a light bulb mm-hmm. moment, but like, damn, if I would have known this 30 years ago, like I would have been, I, like I could have gone like decades without pain or without anxiety or just a better understanding at a minimum, you know? Um, and that has to be really frustrating for, for a parent, but I guess it's good on the other hand that their daughters or their sons are getting that information as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to switch gears here because when we were talking, I thought you, you were talking about a um, really unique interest within the pelvic floor community as well in terms of chronic pelvic pain and sexual dysfunction. So chronic pelvic pain, I know what chronic means to like me, I guess I'm sure it's probably not that much different, but I know what chronic means to me in the world of orthopedic sports med. Um, but is that, is, is that timeline? What does chronic mean to you from a cr- chronic pelvic pain? But then also, um, what do you do for sexual dysfunction? And, and let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> chronic pelvic pain is pain that is described as, you know, being present for six, at least six months. So six months or longer. So they've been dealing with pain and it's pretty much the same in, you know, the orthopedic spheres as well. So they've been dealing with pain. It's not gone away. It's potentially worsened. It doesn't necessarily have to worsen. It's just constant. But in most cases, the longer you deal with something, the more annoying it gets. And, you know, either the perception of it becomes increased or it really does increase. Um, And so, you know, these people are dealing with pain in and around the genitals, um, which could be leading to other, you know, dysfunction in other areas. So they could be having bowel and bladder dysfunction as well, just because of that persistent pain, compensations, and different habits that they've now adopted as a result. Um, When we talk about chronic pelvic pain, there are quite a number of diagnoses that, you know, some people may be aware of that may cause um, pain with sexual function. So for women, things like vulvotinia, vaginismus, dyspareunia is an overarching term, which just means pain with sex. Um, For men, you know, anything that might be causing erectile dysfunction, Peyronie's disease, um, you know, things, hypertonic pelvic floor, so chronic um, pelvic pain syndrome. So a lot of men sometimes are diagnosed with uh, prostatitis. And there are four different types. Um, The first two are caused by bacteria um, and can be treated with antibiotics. The third type, though, is actually just due to overactivity of the pelvic floor muscles. So this overactivity can occur in men or women, but specifically in men, um, there is a huge um, misdiagnosing of individuals because they're like, oh, these are your symptoms. Well, this is what you must have. So here, take these antibiotics. And then, you know, a year later, they're still on antibiotics. And then we wonder why the gut microbiome is so jacked up. Um, So they're still on antibiotics. Same thing with women in UTIs, right? They're like, oh, but I have burning. So it's got to be a UTI. And one of the things I'll ask them, did you get cultured? Yeah. No. Or they'll say, yeah, but it was negative. If it's negative, there is no UTI. Why are we taking antibiotics, right? There's something else going on that's eliciting these symptoms. And coincidentally, if the pelvic floor muscles are overactive, they can elicit similar symptoms. So you can have burning. Mm-hmm. You can have um, pain in the genitals. You can have pain with sex. You can have all these different, you can have pain with prolonged sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have pain with activity. 
all those types of things may be going on there. So what we look for, especially with those people having pain with intercourse, it's kind of multifactorial. And, you know, we don't exist alone as pelvic PT. So when we're dealing with people with these types of issues, this is where I call in my reinforcement. This is where I'm going to, you know, be in touch with either their gynecologist or a physiatrist who's a gynecological specialist. I'm going to be in touch with the sex therapist. And I refer to sex therapy a lot because, again, we can't take for granted that there is like some psycho-emotional stuff going on and at play, especially if they've been dealing with this stuff for a really, really long time. But we want to look at where they are, how they got there. So I talk to people. I'm like, tell me your story. Mm -hmm. And then we want to look at what's, you know, again, typical PT. What's making it worse? What's making it better? What have you noticed? Have you done anything for it? We like to address the muscles. So we've got to make sure that those pelvic floor muscles function the way they need to. They need to be able to lengthen as well as shorten. But if they're in that overactive state, they're in a constant state of shortening. And we need those muscles to be able to relax. If they can't relax, then we can't enjoy pleasurable for women, pleasurable intercourse. If they can't relax, then we cannot adequately um, acquire an erection for the men, or you might have difficulty maintaining that erection or ejaculation might be painful. Um, So we look at all those things. We really need to make sure that we're addressing those muscles, that we can get those muscles to relax, um, that we can work on strategies. You know, if there are certain things that we realize, hey, when this happens, I feel like I clench more, you know, whether it's stress, um, whether it's certain positions, whether it's certain activities, then we need to make sure that we're also addressing those and working on strategies to either prevent them or make them better and make improvements throughout the general day. Yeah, that's wild. I, so that's got to be a fine line for you to walk, or not necessarily a fine line, but how often do you find yourself like having to take on a little bit of a, like a, like a therapist, not a physical therapist, but a, like a psychologist role with this? Because I feel like they have to go hand in hand so much. Like, and you probably get a better result when you can get to those deeper levels sometimes. You're, again, you're not trying to like cross lines by any means, but like I know when I'm working with somebody who, let's, let's take knee pain, for example, and they're coming in and they've seen 20 different providers for knee pain and, you know, nobody's been able to help them out. And the, for that first appointment, we may not even do a dang thing to their knees. We may just like figure out what their story is, exactly what you're kind of talking about, right? Like, well, why, when do you have knee pain? Well, it's when I run. Well, why do you run? So I can stay in shape. Why is it important for you to stay in shape? Like when you start digging into those questions and then you find out what the true cause or true reason of, cause nobody really comes in for like knee pain necessarily. Like, I mean, you got, you know, you're working with your 16, 17 year old athletes. I'm sure there's tons of them that have knee pain every single day. They're not seeing a provider every single day. Right. It's when that pain starts to become impact their function that brings them in there. So when you get into those more intrinsic um, motivators for why somebody's into the clinic, then man, you can, you really know what you're working with at that point. So is, I'd imagine that's even more so the case with your profession or your niche that you work with. Yeah. So, I mean, we take a mindfulness approach and I certainly do with regards to working with these patients. Like you said, it is a delicate subject. You know, it it is one thing to really to think that you're going to help the patient, but you've got to be very willing to listen. And the way that I approach this is I tell all my patients, this is a partnership. We are a team. Okay. We're working together as a unit. And in order for us to move forward and to achieve the goals that you have set, because the goals aren't mine. So the goals that we, that we create as a result of therapy that go into any plan of care are my patients. It's what they want to do. 
And so in order for us to move forward, we need to do so as a unit. Right. Mm-hmm. And I tell, and I'm like, and I need your trust. I, I want you to trust me as your provider. Yeah. And so it, it, it makes you in a sense, you as a provider have to be vulnerable, but you understand that they're being even more vulnerable because they're sharing things that really impact them mentally, impact their quality of life, they're impacting them physically. And it's really taken a toll on a lot of these people. When you have a woman that's coming in and saying, you know, I'm having pain with intercourse, it's always hurt. And, you know, they want to have kids and they kind of can't see a way to, to, for that to happen because they don't feel like they could do the one thing that they're meant to do. Or you've got a male who is having issues with sexual function and they're telling you, you know, life sucks, you know, the rest of their life could be going great, but yeah. they're like, life sucks. You know, why am I even here? And then they've got like suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideations and things of that sort, because you, some people may say, oh, well, it's really not that serious, but until you walk a mile in somebody's shoes, you will never know. You know, I've, I've worked with couples who've come in and not been able to consummate their marriages three, four or five years in because of issues with pelvic floor dysfunction. And yeah. it really can take a toll on individuals. So when we're working, there is a sensitivity there, but there is a, you know, it's really important to forge that therapeutic alliance and let your patients know, like, listen, it, it's us, it's us together. I've got you. We're in this, you know, we're, we are doing this together. You're not by yourself. You don't have to go at this alone. Oh my gosh. And what a rare situation for them to hear that from a medical provider, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of times that, that, that street doesn't feel like it goes both ways. You know, a lot of times it feels like, um, just you're following orders kind of situation when you, when you work with it, with many different types of providers, whether that's an MD, psychologist, PT, Cairo, it doesn't matter. Um, so that, what a truly unique experience for them to have a provider sit down and, and hear that from you. So yeah, they get um, gaslit a lot too, especially those with health. They get gaslit a lot, whereas like they're meant to feel like their stuff, their, their symptoms and their concerns aren't relevant. So oftentimes they're told, Oh, it's just in your head. I can't tell you the amount of times I have had people who have come to me and told me that their provider told them they need to drink wine. And oh I'm like, because God. inebriation was always the remedy for solving pelvic floor dysfunction. <laughs> what an incredibly insensitive thing to say. <laughs> but it happens so often. Yeah. Even now, even in this day, it still happens and it blows my mind. Holy cow. I couldn't even imagine... I mean, I guess I could. I've seen some other stuff that comes through. So like, I guess that's not really all that surprising that somebody would, would be told that from their provider or some other healthcare professional before getting to you. And do you just want to like strangle that person? Like every time you hear that, or are you numb to it now? I'd be like, yep, heard that yesterday too. You know, <laughs> I'm, I, I usually try to tell my people, all right, we're, we're starting fresh. We're starting, yeah. we'll just toss that aside and we're, we're starting fresh because sure. it, it just blows my mind. It, it yeah. absolutely blows my mind. Incredible. And, I, and again, I think that just goes to probably that provider being pretty uncomfortable with the situation or with the conversation and not knowing where to go with it, you know, like, um, I know we were kind of having this conversation before the show got started. Uh, I work with a, with men and women and, and a lot of the female athletes that I work with who are badass, badass athletes, they go in, have a kid come back after, after a couple months uh, postpartum and they're having pain with running or they're having um, leaking issues with double unders, like all these questions that they have for me. And thankfully I've got a pretty good like network of people I can refer out to, but it's almost like, well, I don't even want to push with questions to ask because I wouldn't know where to take that information. So it's, it's awesome to be able to have people like you 
who do know where to take it or how to take that information and where to go from there. So, um, yeah, it's a very personal situation for a lot of people and to have somebody that works with that every day and makes them know that, Hey, you're not alone. Cause I get how many people walk in there thinking that they're the only ones that had that problem. Just about all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> of course. Right. Like there's gotta be something wrong with me. It's, it can't be like a human thing. Um, mm-hmm. so for them to be able to know like, Oh man, there's plenty of people that have this issue that alone probably has to tell about a ton of people. And then mm-hmm. real quick here, uh, before we, uh, cause I do want to be, do want to be respectful of your time. Um, do you feel like, uh, there's, uh, more of a barrier that you have to break through when you're working with men versus women pelvic floor? Or do you feel like it's pretty even in terms of like openness to responding to questions or even being able to come in? Do you got, or is it typically like you're like the last resort option for a lot of guys coming in versus, uh, or how's that work? Cause that's just so I unique. That I love working with male clients. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, male clients are fun. It, they tend to be a little bit hesitant and reserved because even when they're coming in and they're coming in because they've been referred or they're coming in because they, you know, they found me online or something and they're, they're saying, you know, well, I've got this problem. It's like they're, they, they don't want to let the words out. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Let's start with some questions, some simple questions. And as you feel comfortable, you can elaborate on those. Are yeah. you having any problems with urinating? Are you having any problems with bowel movements? Let's talk about that. How often are you going? You know, what does it look like? I whip out a Bristol stool scale. You know, are you having problems with sex? You know, what does that look like for you? Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, mm-hmm. is it that you're having issues with ejaculation? Do you feel like you can't come? You're coming too soon. You know, you can't get it up. You can't keep it up. Like what's, what's happening? Talk, and talk to me. And then once you... Once they realize that you actually are comfortable with this, because people sense when you're not comfortable. So when they realize that you're comfortable, then they're like, oh, oh, we're really going to go there. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it's fine. But men make some, men make the best patients because they, they are so eager. (laughs) They're so eager to get, especially when they're coming in with sexual dysfunction, they're so eager to get that addressed that it's like, okay, doc, what do I do? What do I do? And usually what I have to say is I don't need overkill. Mm -hmm. Here's what you're going to do here. Here's what your home exercises look like. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So can I do more? (laughs) I want, I want you to start here. Yeah. Because if not, they'll go and go and go and go and go. Then they come in and they're like, I'm hurting or I'm sore. But what happened? You know, I did what you told me. Well, how many of what I told you did you do? Yeah. You're like, Oh Yeah. Well, this will help in, uh, you know, four weeks. If I do twice as much, it will help in two weeks. Right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. I can totally see the eagerness there when, uh, when guys finally figure out, like, there's somebody that can actually help them with some sexual dysfunction or erectile dysfunction or ejaculation issues. Um, could definitely see some eagerness going on there. So, um, Dr. J, man, I really appreciate your time. I think, uh, you know, you're, you're a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I, I've learned a ton just from those quick, like, 30 minutes we've been able to be on the show here. And I know our audience will learn a ton, too. If they want to know even more about you or if they think, hey, this person might be the right one for me to kind of go in and get an appointment with, how can someone get in contact with you or what's the best way for them to learn more about you? Yeah, so you can go to my website, www.jmmhealthsolutions.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Pelvic Perspective. And I'm on Facebook at jmmhealthsolutions.com. And the same for YouTube, jmmhealthsolutions.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. J. Appreciate your time this evening. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.